This is Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit, a podcast where I interview single Christians to broaden the conversation on singleness in the church. I'm your host, Mary B., an author and singles coach passionate about filling the gap between what the church offers and what single Christians need. We've made it to the season eight wrap-up episode. We spent this whole season hearing from some awesome guests about their experience being single and in the church, the good, the bad, and the awkward. For this wrap-up episode, you're going to hear our favorite clips from each episode, which I'll string together with some solid narration. Before we dive in, I want to tell you about our Patreon community. It's no secret that many singles feel like outsiders in the church. That's why we've created a Patreon community. For a small monthly fee, you can get access to bonus content, plus a community where your voice and presence are valued. Tiers start at just $5 a month. Sign up at patreon.com unsuitable. All right, now let's dive into today's episode. This season's guests discuss many facets of the single experience in church. Though they represent different backgrounds, a lot of common threads popped up. I say this every season, and every season I mean it, but this season was stacked. I loved every conversation. Each guest brought such a nuanced story to the table. We heard from a theologian, a senior pastor, a sociologist, a musician, and so much more. All of them single, all of them so open and human in the best ways, and so freaking wise. I'm deeply honored by how each of these guests trusted the space. We talked about church culture, relationships, deep friendship, the messed up stuff that people say to singles, how to ask for what we need, touch deprivation, y'all. We ran the gamut. I could not be a bigger fan of each of these humans. Part of being open means being honest about what isn't working and what isn't going well. These guests did not hold back. But as Henry Abuto said, let's think of it not as calling the church out, but as calling the church to something better. These guests did such a great job of being honest, but also reminding us passionately and persistently about the kind of community we were created to be. If you know me, you know that I love the church. I think she has all the potential in the world, and I think that God is going to do what God is going to do. But I think it's pretty cool that we get to be part of that. Here are a few snippets of how the guests called the church to a broader, more beautiful body that values and cares for all of its members. Henry Abuto talked about the struggle to create support systems as a single person. So I'm like being single. Yeah, I've had to like create this network in my neighborhood of like, hey, can someone go let my dog out? Because like work is running longer than I thought or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's like, then it kind of makes me resentful. I was like, well, married people already have a built-in person to do those things. It's like, yeah. uh, <laughs> like or when I got home, it's like, oh, it'd be so nice if somebody put up those clothes already. But it's like, nope, I'm going to be the only person that's putting up those clothes after a long day. Those are the things that when I start thinking about because I sometimes I joke that I was like, I low-key don't believe in singleness, but I don't believe in singleness without support. I think asking people yeah. to be single without a support structure, I think that is cool. I don't think singleness yeah. is cool. I think expecting people to go through life single and alone and not being willing to show up for them, I think that's yeah. cool. It's hard to be out here alone in these streets. Like the price of every, I mean, like it's a struggle. Inflation. Like, yes. In this economy, singleness, don't recommend. Mm. Zero stars. No. <laughs> so. Matt Linden expressed a similar sentiment when he spoke with Anna Primrose. The church has no business trying to tell single people to be content in their singleness 
or to, you know, just accept the quote unquote gift of single celibacy when the church is doing nothing to make it possible for single people to get their emotional and physical needs met mm-hmm. in a healthy platonic way, period. Like, amen. Dear, dear church, like stop talking about the honor of the gift of singleness. If you're not going to make it safe and healthy for your single people to have all their mm-hmm. needs, met. like stop talking about it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm done with the hypocrisy. Guests also wrestled with the perception of singles in church. Listen to what Caitlin Beatty had to say about it. The Christian language around highest calling puts just a whole layer, a whole additional layer of spiritual pressure around this, you know, this this role or this identity. We already get it, as you said, from all sorts of other cultural sources, but then to have the spiritual overlay can make it particularly difficult to feel okay in a Christian yeah. setting. And it's it's mm-hmm. almost like, as you said, even if you love your life and you and you feel happy and content and excited and you have all these opportunities, it's almost like, yeah, but we don't want you to feel okay about that. Mm. <laughs> like you're not supposed to feel okay about that. You enjoying or finding purpose and meaning in your singleness is aberrant or deficient because if your highest calling Mm. is to be a wife and mom, you're missing out in some capacity. Mm. I I mean, obviously, I'm sure you've talked about this with other guests, single people having to butt up against stereotypes about being selfish, yep, self-centered, you know, doesn't play well with others, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, career-focused. I think that's an especially difficult barrier for Christian women who really love their work and feel very deeply committed to their work and called to their work. You have to like defend yourself. Elizabeth Moore put it beautifully in this comment about what she wishes the church understood about her. I kind of just wish they knew that I'm not sad, (laughs) but I'm like, it's all good. And that like, I've, I have been in relationships where I felt cut in half and I'm looking for a relationship where I feel doubled like where I can I'm able to double wow. like I yeah and that's very hard to find I that is very hard to find that's why I'm not in one I don't know what that even like is gonna take but like that is what I'm looking for and like but I'm aware that that's a lot and it's a big ask so I'm I'm not sad like I'm okay as I am even if we're able to shake the pressure of how we are perceived we still have to reckon with how we view ourselves our lives and God I loved how Akemeni Uwan described it in our conversation. This is where God has me. For Ultimately, <laughs> yes, systemic factors, yes, interpersonal, yes, theological stuff, yes, colorism, yes, all those things. But ultimately, God has not overrode those things in order to bring my spouse yet. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. I don't know. And God can. <laughs> yeah. But God hasn't, you know, and I think that that is where you get so disappointed or you can get angry or you, you could get bitter because, you know, God can. Mm. I think that's what makes it difficult or hard. But I think that when it comes to contentment, it doesn't mean that you still don't desire those things. It doesn't mean that you still don't ask God for those things. But I think it means that you do not operate from a place of lack or deficit because what you don't want to do is operate from a place of desperation as if we don't serve a God of abundance, you know, and believing that, that God can do this. 
you know, if it is in God's will. And if you still have the desire, keep giving it to God. You know, God has over and over in scripture told us to ask, seek, knock, right? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The single experience in church is filled with tension. Not necessarily in a bad way, just in a human way. Landon Swain had some great thoughts about a particular tension that I found deeply relatable. Could you just talk a little bit about the nuance of like holding that hope for a spouse, but also not living like it's a guarantee for you? Yeah. Um, For me, the statistical reality of not everybody getting married um, is kind of humbling. And I, I would... I would hate to promise people something that isn't actually promised from yeah. God. And I think a lot of churches and probably well-meaning people act as if a spouse is promised and it's just not. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a statistical reality and that's just a reality of life. So I use the if language because it's like, I don't know, it could. Like, I mean, I'm 23 right now, so I got I got some time. Uh, mm-hmm. I have literally the rest of my life to potentially get married to somebody. And it's something that I'm pursuing. Like I'm, I'm like trying to go on dates and stuff like that and, and be like casual in it, but like have intention and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But I mean, really like I, it's two imperfect people trying to make an imperfect thing work by an imperfect method. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is not dependent upon me. So mm-hmm. like another person can break up with me and it's like, there's so many unpredictables that are not just like, it's not all on me just get yeah. married. Akimini also talked about the notion that we can guarantee marriage by doing more. Check out what she said. But yeah, I, yeah. So, I mean, when people say, you know, you do this, do that, do that, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can contort and do all these things, but we can't earn this thing. Hmm. And marriage is not an achievement. Yeah. If I roll in college and I go to class and do all those things, you know, like that's an achievement. <laughs> I applied. Yeah. I did everything I was supposed to for me to graduate from college. That's an achievement. Mm. Marriage is not an achievement. It is a yeah. gracious gift. It's wonderful, but it, there's no like school of marriage where I can go and roll and then four years later I'm gonna have my husband. That's that right. does not exist. It's not an achievement. <laughs> mm. You know, and it's not marriage is not human marriage. Let me say, you know, um marriage between Man and woman is not eternal. We yeah. will all eventually be single again. Guests also talked about the ways they experience growth in different types of relationship. Here's Kayana describing how a new dating relationship helped her grow in trust. When I picture my life, like, I don't know, in my 40s and 50s, I see myself single and I see myself, you know, as a single mom. I wanted to foster kids. Since I was young, I decided I wanted to foster children from New York City. And so it's kind of shifted my mindset a lot being in this relationship. And yeah. and it's, I think it's a shift for the good. I think I'm th- starting to realize like, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And I can trust him. And, you know, we can make this work. And so it's something that we're definitely talking through. And, you know, I'm reading books about and yeah. uh, we're definitely very open to talking about and then learning, learning from each other. Audrey Ellis talked about dating as well, but she also described the unique role friendship can play in our growth. But I feel like marriage is the relationship that is given the most attention in a church if we're mm-hmm. talking about person-on-person relationships. And mm-hmm. so I feel like 
like dating and maybe friendships, like those two things are person on person relationships that maybe are not given as much attention when in reality, those two are so important. And like, I think dating isn't given as much attention because there's this like fast track to try to get you into covenant when in reality, I mean, if you just look at like relationships in the church, they move quicker toward marriage than people who yeah. are not in the church. But then that kind of devalues the dating aspect, which is like mm-hmm. glorified friendship, honestly, not glorified friendship. I want to take that back. Friendship is already filled with glory enough. Woo! Um, it's right. here for friendship. I believe <laughs> friends are our truest soulmates. I will die on yes. that. So. Yes. <laughs> like dating, there are so many things that it would be awesome to have like mentorship in or like mm. wisdom in and, totally. and not just like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this until you're married. But like, yeah, like what can you add to your dating relationship that's like life-giving mm. and makes you whole and you both are moving toward wholeness together in dating and not in marriage. And so so that and then friendship, I feel like like same in friendship. Like how can we grow as people who are in life together, who are yeah. whole individuals? How can we love each other as friends? How can we nourish friendship? In discussing friendship and non-romantic relationships, a couple of guests discuss the need to expand our idea of where and how intimacy happens. Here's what Anna Primrose said. I, and I've had conversations with married friends and some of them, good God, some of them, yeah, they have this belief that it's like, well, he's married. So he's got all of his physical, emotional, mental needs met by his wife. He doesn't really mm-hmm. need any other women in his life. He doesn't need sisters. He doesn't. And it's just, an, it's a lie. Yeah. And I, I think we don't, Men don't know now how to get those needs met in a way that's healthy. And so they're being weird around women. Like they don't mm-hmm. know they don't know how to relate to women without a sexual relationship. And so mm-hmm. they are sexualizing women and they are getting into all of this trouble because they haven't been told or shown that it is possible and healthy to have platonic familial relationships with other women. Yeah. Jason Miller had lots of great thoughts about friendship, particularly men's need for close friendship. To me, that speaks to sort of how impoverished our imagination for friendship is. Yes. As adults. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, like I, I, I have really strong feelings about friendship as a, an essential category for life. Yeah. And I'll say this not, well, like I was gonna say, like adult men, I say a lot with, now that doesn't mean it's happening less for women. I just, I have a probably more line of sight mm-hmm. specifically toward like men in their thirties and forties and fifties mm-hmm. and just the, and then there's all the data out there, right? That's just there's like the, the, all the, the plot lines that track, you know, adult meaningful friendship are just plummeting. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. Cause I think, I mean, not only is it like, you know, really un- unhealthy, but I, I think, um, deep friendship is just like, you know, it, it's um, one of the things that makes life the richest. And I mm-hmm. think in some ways I think of marriage and family as subsets of friendship mm. rather than fr- friendship as sort of a consolation prize if you don't have marriage and family. Also on the topic of friendship, Matt had advice for anyone who wants to ask their married friends for what they need in the relationship. If I look back at my time at Mars Hill in particular, 
where this culture was like super entrenched. I think what I could have done differently was to say, you know, hey, I love coming over and spending time with you guys, but it would also really be great to spend time with you in my world. Mm-hmm. Because every time we hang out, I'm coming into your world. Mm. And I would love it if you would come into mine yeah. a little bit more. And then just stop. Like, that's all you need to say. Yana Janae Connor described what made her positive relationships with married folks so healthy. When you say the married folks that you met at this new church knew how to navigate the space well, like the relationship with you as married people. Were you primarily speaking about accountability or are there other ways where you feel like they really knew how to navigate that difference? Yeah, they treated me as a whole person. Mm -hmm. And some people understand what I'm saying. Some people won't. (laughs) But, you know, when you're single, sometimes people don't treat you like a whole person. They treat you like you are missing something as if your life is incomplete, that you are maybe immature in some ways. But these people treated me like a whole person. I don't really remember them like trying to marry me off or or things Mm. like that. And so and because they they treated me like a whole person, they engaged with me about things that didn't just have to do with my relationship status. Right. And Mm. so just a holistic sort of discipleship plan of like, yo, how are you, how are you doing with your relationship with your dad? You know, you Mm -hmm. shared about how you are struggling with forgiveness. And so like, let's talk about that. I also appreciated the guests who helped us zoom out. Katie Gadini, author of The Struggle to Stay, talked about taking the long view when working for equality in the church. The clip starts with me talking about my own church experience. There's so much working against a woman who is trying to do that, or even a small group of women who are trying to do that. There's like so many years of of organizational inertia, and you have these like massive institutions that are just moving in a particular direction and have a, such a set way of doing things that yeah. you know you describe in your book, kind of the the results of some of the women who had that attitude and mm. and left the church after kind of getting disillusioned and tired and all of that. Yeah, and that's where I think we need waves of people to pick up the mantle and carry on and. And I trace towards the end of the book some of the foremothers, the women that came before these evangelical Mm. women that came before myself that have been fighting for equality on numerous fronts, whether it's gender equality, racial equality, and you know they had their time, and then another group or took over, and then another group, and sometimes they're short-lived waves. And and, but I really like to think of it as these successive efforts that build on each other because yeah for for it to all be on one person as a life's work is is a yeah. lot to ask it can be challenging to be on a life path that is different from the norm or what is seen as best but jason has some good perspective on how much this happens in the bible we have a million stories about where the calling of god the life of god the invitation of god the things that god is doing the step of faith will run at odds with sort of these pre-baked sort of ideas of identity and reputation. And maybe this goes, you know, really quickly into like relational status, singleness, marriage. You know, I think these can be ways that we sort of tell ourselves and tell the world at large that we're all right. Mm -hmm. 
maybe you're in a family system that expected a few things out of you. Go to college, get married, have kids, right? Mm-hmm. And then have a good career. I don't think it's wrong to call that sort of a righteousness code in that family system. Mm-hmm. This is what a good person looks like. This is what a good life looks like. Mm-hmm. And all the people who manage to get themselves into that situation are therefore sort of treated as normative. And then anybody who doesn't, you know, at a minimum, you kind of get the side eye yeah. or you get sort of passive aggressive questions, or you might get more direct confrontations about the fact that like your life is not fitting our picture of the good life, which is another way of talking about sort of righteousness in a family system or a church system. Yeah. And it can be really, really painful and really grueling to go through sort of the loss of that righteousness status, either the way you think of yourself or the way others think of you. Mm. But I'm struck by how often that's actually what's required of people like in biblical stories, Mm. if they want to actually keep up with what God is doing in their life. As a community, our calling is high. The vision for the church is one we won't reach in this lifetime. But by valuing the insight and stories of people like you and people like these guests, I think we will open ourselves to something amazing God wants to do. We need each other. So my call to singles is to have conversations with your people. Ask hard questions. Find people who are working toward wholeness and go with them. If that's in a church, great. If it isn't, that's okay too. You are a valuable part of your relationships and your community as you are. This podcast is designed to be a companion for you. I hope you felt that in the stories and insights from this season's guests. If you're looking for a new way to connect with a friend, share your favorite episode and discuss it together. The single life can feel isolating, but if you take anything away from this season, I hope you feel deeply met and known in these words. I'm rooting for you. If you're a single Christian who's tired of trying to cultivate a full, meaningful life alone, it might be time to try one-on-one coaching. I'm Mary B. Seyfert, a singles coach committed to helping you make the most of your right now life. Head to marybsafert.com coaching, fill out the interest form, then schedule your free 60-minute intro call. I can't wait to hear from you. That is officially a wrap on season eight. We're taking a break next week, but we'll be doing some bonus Between the Seasons episodes while we get everything together for Season 9. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please take a minute to rate and review. To stay up to date on all things Unsuitable, follow me on Instagram or TikTok at marybee.safrit. Or subscribe to my weekly newsletter at marybesafrit.com. Unsuitable is produced by Studio Aplum. Sound engineering is by me, Mary B. Safrit, and the theme music is by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. Catch you on the flippity flop.